0: Log
1: Talk Radio. Africa at the center of the world. Africa. Africa. Latitude zero, longitude zero.
2: Planned by the Creator. Sazanthropus was the first man found on the Earth. That Earth. thank you, thank you.
3: Washington,
4: D.C. For many of you this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady.
5: killed my great-great-grandfather and your white great-grandfather sold my great-grandfather and your white grandfather raped my grandmother and your father stole, cheated, lied, and robbed my father. What kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come, my friend, to the white daughter and son?
4: Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect.
5: We are at war! That's what I told you! I know you heard what the president said, and it's a nigger don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood pressure through your veins, you feel the fear. The free, home of the brave, the year's 95, you're a slave, some go in shock when they first hear the news, press play and then rewind and review, but the message is clear and it cuts just like the knife. you don't surrender, they take your life, and I remember the movies my mama used to show me, remember the times when they bought and they sold you, that's what I told you. That's
2: what I told you!
5: That's what I told you! That's what I told you! There are in a war zone, Dave. Two motorcycle officers horribly wounded in a deadly crossfire. The police seemingly unable to rescue them in spite of several desperate heroic attempts. It's completely out of the world. Now that they see that it's a critical condition, racism was here, but they didn't take it seriously. And then they said that I was crazy, violence escalating, and it's sad to see so many brothers being killed by the enemy. Mothers and daughters and fathers and sons? Why can't they see we couldn't win by the gun? I told you how to win, but now it's too late. The enemy's on the rise, and he feels your face. Brain is a weapon, technology section, the wardrobe is Once again know your enemy from your friend
2: back back
1: back back
5: No more four leaf clover. The Superman, Daddy Pimp syndrome is over. See the war, smell the war, hear the war. You better feel the war. We're talking total annihilation. Wicked and true. The black man will be harder to find. than not for food. You should have read the books and understood that America's no damn good. For of Amigo, this is a I ain't a hero. I will Drummer was drumming. The end is here for big and small. Mother Africa's final call because.
2: them up, Howard.
6: Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous.
7: No, Howard.
6: You liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Oh, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. Oh, you no, know, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, He's become one of us. Uh, It's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard. You liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. (laughs) That makes it even worse. Oh, you know, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he's sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. No, thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us.
8: We welcome you to Africa on the Moon. It's the 24th day, 2023. And like always, we live the reality of we live to struggle and struggle to live. We are still having technical Issues and difficulties with our our live podcast program is not because of us, but it's issues that are going on either with the system or outside forces in both cases in which we can control these issues. So we're going to do our best, give you our best because you deserve the best, and see what happens today. Again, welcome to Africa on the Move. I'm your host, Brother Africa. It's always an honor and a privilege to speak to the powerful and the powerless. We come to speak power to truth. We come to share information with you so that you can use it as a tool for liberation. We come to introduce to you various movements and organizations because we know that the greatest weapon for the oppressed today in order to get that liberation is the organization. You must be organized. So like always, we encourage you to join an organization that is doing something to help eventual people and honor humanity. So in that light, just keep in mind um, we're not under our normal conditions operating and while at the same time your host is also uh, under the weather. But like always, we are fighters and so we're going to fight through this. So we'd like to welcome you all again to Africa on the Move, uh, and our theme today is: Let's get serious with European domination and exploitation of uh, Africa today, and this current neo-colonialism practice. Let me repeat that again. The topic the of our theme today is let's get serious with European domination and exploitation, or Africa 30 Day, and it's current kind of Neoclonalism practice. That's our focal point for this program. We hope we can get through it. And like always, if you have any questions, we'll like to view the past programs. We invite you to email us at africanthemove2 at gmail.com, as well as if you want to support that work. You can do that by sending a cash app to dollar sign, top of the L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b. We greatly would appreciate it. So let's get started with our party. You know how we do this. We're going to introduce you to our political panelists and analysts for today's program. So at this time, we will bring in Brother Haki. He's an organizer for the African Awareness Association, and we would like to welcome him on the 24th day of December, 2023, to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Haki. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamathi Mishoki, Currently with African Awareness and of course, Brother Africa. You know my thing is institution building, but I think certain certain kinds of information I think is is very key in terms of understanding the situation we find ourselves currently confronted. Uh, one of the things that when we talk about the state of capitalism, we have to we got to you know specifically understand that we've been misled to a large extent in terms of how capitalism actually focus. focus. We're under the illusion often that uh, poor people are a problem in the terms of capitalism, and that they contribute to the problems of capitalism. When in fact, the, the opposite is exactly true. As a matter of fact, if in fact people were truly committed to capitalism, then certainly the benefits of, of, of social spending to the masses of poor people in society, in terms of fair, fair, house, you know, uh, uh, affordable housing, uh, food stamps, uh, Medicaid, Medicare, those kind of those kind of uh, programs, that. Uh, put money that stimulates the economy by putting money into the economy those kind of programs will be endorsed But as we see those 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 programs are constantly under attack by right-wing forces in America So I think I I thought I would just think talk a little bit about in terms of the, the importance in terms of social spending when it comes to Capitalism and why how sh- poor people in society have been short when we don't have to be shortchanged in terms of You know if people are truly committed to the whole idea in terms of capitalism now, the convoluted and deceptive character of capitalism requires its true nature not be disclosed over fears. If the masses see capitalism as it truly exists, revolution would flourish. Often capitalism's failures are blamed on government policy, be it interest rates or level of money in circulation. The reality is since Nixon ended the gold standard where value of currency is backed by, gover- by-, by gold, government has taken a backseat to Wall Street and other financial institutions, who run the U.S. economy, while the government played the role of cheerleader, carrying out economic policy in benefit to the financial elite in society. In order for this grand scheme to work concealing government powerlessness, elites be the economic or political must convince the masses government spending harms the economy. However, there's one, one caveat. Government spending to help the poor is bad, but government spending for the wealthy in terms of tax cuts capital gains, or taxes on sales of property and investments, and receiving government credits are good. In other words, running government economic deficits is never the wrong economic move in increasing wealth. Deficits are only a concern when government borrows money for social spending or helping poor people. Ironically, statistics indicate cutting taxes for the wealthy does not result in economic growth, but on the contrary, undermines economic growth. Over the last 200 years, 200 years, taxes for the wealthy has decimated and undermined the U.S. economy, resulting in recessions. But lies to the contrary continues to be circulated by capitalist minions who are paid to hide uncomfortable truths from the public as to the structural instability of capitalism itself. Now, now, this type of disinformation... <clears throat> of taunting the benefits of tax cuts for the rich is disseminated to the public for two reasons. One, to consider the fact wealth of billionaires continues to grow exponentially, resulting in wealth of billionaires exceeding 33% in 2023 alone. Imagine this kind of wealth is only possible if government is beholden to capital or wealth. Even more insidious, access to this kind of wealth can only exist to the point conscious decisions are being made as to who benefits from capitalism and who loses from capitalism without a doubt, in order to achieve this drastic, drastically different results in which the rich is favored. A formula is employed by capitalist elites where the value of wages and, and capital or investments to make more money will diverge. Taxes applied to wages or labor will be disproportionately high and show the continuation of poverty. In other words, the more you work, the poorer you become. While taxes on investments, trade, and acquisition of other businesses as a property will be disproportionately low, ensuring wealth of the wealthy would proliferate or increase exponentially, despite harm to the real economy. Under this formula, acquiring assets like property, houses, stocks, and bonds become the purview of the rich. Secondly, concealing information as the any workings of capitalism is key to ensuring the masses fail to grasp the importance of consumption or buying things in a capitalist society, economy. By purchasing goods and services by the masses, the level of money in circulation expands not only improving the health of the economy, but increases the opportunity for investments, savings, which ensures the economy has sufficient liquidity to pay off investments, and better job creation as a result of growing demand for more consumption. This aspect of capitalism is rarely acknowledged because to acknowledge the role of consumption will undermine inequality and exploitation in the labor market capitalists depend on to form in conflict, be it ethnic, gender, class, or otherwise, to maintain control, <coughs> thus while averting revolution in the society. Of course, consumption consumerism cannot be denied. Government statistics indicate consumption is the largest component of the GDP, gross domestic product, and its importance belies a very grim reality when consumerism is denied. Without expansion of the money supply by social spending by government to the economy. The economy shrinks. Likewise, contraction or reduction of the value of money in circulation, by concentrating wealth among elites and reduction of social spending, solves the economy of both value, volume of dollars and velocity of dollars in circulation to maximize the multiplier effect thereby expanding economic growth. A fact repeatedly, repeatedly denied by conservative politicians to maximize elite monetary, social, political control of U.S. institutions all designed to dismiss who, why high employment failures are good for capitalism. In fact, Reagan, in the 1980s, downplayed consumption by implementing taxes for the wealthy resulting in economic devastation of the U.S. economy, which is still felt today. In fact, in his second term, he, he implemented over 11 new tax increases in order to, rem- to revive cons- consumption. Unfortunately, the impact of the tax increases were ineffective, given the pushback from capitalist forces who amassed a considerable, considerable war chest to resist reforms to the economy. Now, undeniably, consumption's benefits to a, to a better economy has been well established. Prior to 1980s, when tax cuts for the wealthy and deregulation of the economy did not exist, economics showcasing investments in consumerism saw economics, um, economics improve and grow at a rate that is unprecedented since, since then. When Truman, between 1945 and 1949, cut tax rates on wealthy from 93% to 91%, he did so to invigorate the economy by taxing wealth to ensure the free flow of money throughout the economy, ensuring the multiplier effect. With the multiplier effect, the value of money would increase economic activity, making the economy expand, ensuring access to wealth was not only accessible to capitalist elites. Accessibility to money meant the disparity of wealth between the have and the have-nots narrowed. While the wealthy got richer, their wealth did not reflect the economic extremes existing in today's world, and consumption served as the catalyst. Arthur Howell, between 1953 and 1961, pursued a similar strategy of, boost, of boosting consumerism by cutting taxes on, on the wealthy from 92 to 91 percent. Over three years of his eight years in office, the U.S. economy in real terms factory in inflation grew 3% a yearly. With this economic growth came low unemployment, low inflation resulting from capitalism policy, embracing the policy and a balanced budget for three consecutive years. However, the benefits of the prolonged economic policies contained by qualitative tightening and Eisenhower's conservatism that opposed more government spending to stimulate the economy. Despite three recessions during his terms, by the start of his second term, monies were allocated to stimulate consumption in part resulting from a decline in consumers' lack of confidence to a business as usual. Now, the more obvious question is, if government spending can improve economic functioning by boosting consumerism, why forestalling disastrous inequality, according to the World Economic Forum, why would government endorse policy like cuts to food stamps, uh, housing programs, Medicaid, Medicare, programs that stimulate economic growth (coughs) while also boosting the economy? according to the imf international monetary fund bank not endorsing these programs only leads to lower economic growth which is tantamount to sabotaging the us economy it is no secret when clinton president clinton raised the tax rate on the wealthy from 31 to 39.6% he was able to lift 4.1 million people out of poverty and many who found jobs employ, employed tax cuts to 15 million <coughs> of the poor citizens while using tax, child tax credits of $500 per child, benefiting over 45 million children or 27 million families while balancing the budget. Compare this to his predecessor, G.W. Bush, uh, who provided tax cuts to capital gains, dividends for the wealthy, the opposite of impact resulted in a high economic deficits, unemployment, and increased homelessness. Clearly, IMF banks' assertion that higher inequality leads to lower economic growth too pathetic, but despite the economic reality, many politicians persist in demonizing the poor and when in reality, treating the poor humanely is good for the economy. Currently, government spending on social ills are const- constrained by a tax rate that sees 400 of the richest families only paying an effective tax rate <coughs> or, or taxes actually paid after write-offs, capital gains, or counter-schemes of less than 8%. Now, at this point, I should point out Acknowledging capitalism's systematic bias against the poor presents separate challenges for African people. For example, the New Deal was a great economic benefit to many, but it excluded African people from participation. Embrace of incorporating the poor into the economy theoretically is a positive move, <coughs> but, such, but such a strategy will, will not circumvent prevent the practice of racism in the real economy. Despite the best intent of formula, policy, formulate economic policy that is inclusive, the history of racism and a function of institutions will preclude (coughs) any honest attempt to end the structural inequality confronting African people, even when economic change is potentially beneficial for the U.S. economy as a whole. (coughs) The challenge for African people will not change. For African people, the challenge is to continue to navigate systems of power who count on psychological barriers of elevating racism, to serve their economic interests. Failing to plot a political course acknowledging the colonized existence of African people in the U.S. will only result in more inequality and more injustice and continued economic decline. And with that, Brother Africa, I conclude. (coughs) Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we will introduce Brother Moses, who is a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. We will welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Moses.
9: Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the minute I was introduced to Marxism, the father of scientific socialism, in a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao tongue is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment. ERA, yes, and the struggle continues to be to unite the many, defeat the few, the direction of the main blow being in Palestine to rout and dismantle the apartheid state called Israel. And this ghetto project must be ended. It's not a nation, and the lie must be exposed. So with this in mind, we look forward to a good show. Amen. Bye.
8: Thank you, Brother Moses. Going from Brother Moses to Sister Eleanor, who is also a member of the VC Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. We bring her in, and we say welcome to Africa on the Move. Sister Eleanor.
10: Good evening, Brother Africa, and happy holidays to everyone around the world. My name is Eleanor Johnson, and I thank you for having me on the show this evening. And I'd like to uh, say greetings to our fellow my fellow analysts, as well as to our audience in the United States and abroad. Thank you, and have a great evening. Welcome, Sister Eleanor.
8: At this particular time, what we're going to do is we're going to take a rubbish and culture break, and when we come back, we'd like to welcome you, the listening audience, to join us at 323-679-0841 as we discuss what's going on in your world and the community. Again, we welcome you to call in and share with us. We know that there's so much going on in the African diaspora and the world in general. And without information we cannot thank. So brothers and sisters, friends and comrades, it's important for us to learn from you, hear your voice. To come and join us by dialing in at three two three six seven six seven nine O eight four one. Hit one and we will acknowledge your national numbers. So we'll be right back. And we will continue to travel down this road in liberation as we take a rugby punch break. We are listening to Brother Africa and Africa on the move. you have is what contribution will you make to Africa and African people's freedom. Welcome back to Africa on the Move Radio on the 24th day of December 2023. And just for the historical piece, we'd like to remind you that on this particular day in 1951, Libya Political Independence Day was created. It was in 51 on this day, where where, where, where Lib, Libya received his place of independence, twenty fourth, nineteen fifty one. Just a little side note. and Also, we just would like to remind all all our listener, listeners and viewers that Africa move for the last, you know, seven weeks, we've been having... Technical issues with our production, and those issues are out of our control. We've been a part of this long talk family for, for many years, over eleven years. Um, it's sort of curious in terms of this is the first time we have been running into these difficulties. Like but like all things, things have changes and not stay the same. And we're gonna just do our best, given you know what limitations we have in terms of trying to get the word out to our people by using various means of technology. So keep that in mind, and if you'd like to support us as well, please make a donation or send your flowers or your Christmas gift to Africa on the Moon by Cash App, dollar sign, capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b. Let me do it again. Dollar sign, capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b. And if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at afternoonmove2 at gmail.com. Today's topic and theme will be speaking on let's get serious with European domination and exploitation of Africa today and its kind neocolonial practice. We'll be speaking on that subject later on, but right now we will invite you to call in at 323-679-0841, hit 1. And we want you to tell us what's going on in your world and the community. So we'll start off right now come back to our political panelists and analysts, for today's program and bring in Brother Haki, and we ask you, Haki, what's going on in your world in the community? The mic is yours. Well, Brother Africa, pretty much more of the same. Uh, you know, recently, uh, it's been like a couple weeks now, uh, a little um, ten-year-old African child uh, was arrested uh, for allegedly urinating. Very, very interesting case and for for many many reasons uh, and certainly uh, when you look at in terms of the, the downturn in the US economy in terms of implication in terms of you know uh, the spreading you know injustice that's the society then you got a very concerned about in terms of you know to the extent that African children you know, will be negatively impacted by law enforcement uh, in terms of um, so-called carrying out their duties and responsibilities Benevent Brother Africa, I wrote this. Now, a 10-year-old African child was arrested for urinating in public in Mississippi. And a police officer who observed the event was reluctant to to arrest the child, preferring to caution the child on the perceived immorality and and the potential for juvenile justice court appearances he may face as a result. Apparently, rather than make the decision to warn a 10-year-old child, a call was was dispatched citing what he perceived as an administrative crime to which four other cops convened, one of which was a lieutenant. The lieutenant made a call the child should be handcuffed and taken to the police precinct to be processed. The interesting aspect of this child's arrest is that according to an older sister who was in the car awaiting the return of the mother, the 10-year-old attempted to inquire about the use of a bathroom, presumably from business establishments, but were denied. The 10-year-old youth apparently tried to conceal relieving himself behind behind the mother's car, but was spotted allegedly by a police officer in the vicinity of the alleged offense. And the decision to handcuff the 10-year-old was, was made, and as a result, he was, in fact, arrested. But the arrest but of the 10-year-olds were problematic for three reasons. One of the reasons why it was problematic is that when you talk about nation in public is normally of defense, requiring a fine by arresting the child the implication is the function functionally necessary act was outside the norm of human behavior the second problematic aspect of arresting a 10 year old is the child's parent was nearby and having the older sister to get, get go get the mother could have spared the 10 year old unnecessary trauma any questions of paying fine could be addressed with the parent thirdly as in terms of being problematic for me was, why did four these police officers respond to a call about a 10-year-old urinating in public? Allegations of, of declining public resources is hard to square when it takes five police officers to respond to a 10-year-old allegedly urinating in the streets. Implication is these police officers, particularly the lieutenant, were engaged in padding their arrest record or their lack of concern for the future of this African child was an unconscious or maybe a conscious attempt to undermine his future psychologically or materially by generating a juvenile record to be used at a later date if the child makes a mistake in the future, which children are prone to do. Now, in considering since 2018, the number of children African and Latin arrested in the U.S. under the age of 10 is growing to over 31,000 children, and this is this is officially, unofficially, a lot of states are not are not the, uh. Uh, compelled to, 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 to expose or to disclose their records in terms of how many children they actually arrest. Now, but over the 10 to 12 years of age, over 367,000 children have been arrested by the police officer. Now, it's, it simply can be con- concluded of uh, the role or, or conjectured of uh, the role of the immature brain development of African-Latin children is summarily dismissed, while their actions, unlike white children, are not seen as a function of biology, but rather criminal tendencies. Where the criminal justice system is the only solution for the African community and other communities of color the implications are clear as we talk about decline in the u s economy, just those kind of abuses are likely to actually increase and so clearly we got to be on, on we got to be on on the watch uh, in terms of you know these kind of abuses, and we've got to be prepared as community to to step up. And, and and to demand some type of accountability in terms of these kind of practices because they do have the potential in terms of undermining those children's future uh in a in a in a, in a very um seedy kind of way. But having said that, Brother Africa, I'll conclude. Thank you, Brother Hakey. Next we're going to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community?
9: Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. I think you know one of the burning questions that, um, that came up this week was the question of Biden versus Trump and the issue of white supremacy and the plantation, who's going to run the plantation, and the na- nature of the plantation being a war machine. We have to stop the war machine, as the brother Bob Anderson in the Albuquerque section has the organization Stop the War Machine. Um, we, need to, we need to recognize that Biden is part of the democratic process in this country, and concretely real human beings, real Democrats, real process. And, um, and I'm in the united front against fascism. I'm united with the democratically-minded people, not the party per se, but democracy-minded people and socialist-minded people and communist-minded people. We're in a united front against fascism, and fascism is personified by Donald Trump, just like Hitler personified fascism in Germany. Donald Trump is the face of fascism in the U.S. of A. today, and we we shouldn't have any illusions about that. And there's a difference between somebody who's saying in words and deeds that they are fascists and somebody who's, who's basically saying they're for democracy and their equal rights and all that, but just they come up short just like all bourgeois politicians will always come up short because that's the nature of the bourgeoisie. Thomas Jefferson was the father of liberalism. He had slaves, but he, he had children with... Sally Henson, so there's contradictions. And, you know, Biden has Pamela Kamala Harris in his office. That's good um, for in terms of race relations as uh, a move forward. But we must not have any illusions. Trump is fascism, and we have to have a united front against fascism. And it's not just Trump, but it's a whole movement. But Trump is at the spearhead of the movement, and he, like he said, he can shoot somebody in the middle of New York and get away with it. He can have a a riot, an insurrection, and get away with it. That's his belief, and we have to defend democracy, defend the right to vote, and uh, stand up for justice and fair play. I'll leave it right there. Thank you.
8: I hear you, Brother Moses. I think we again we need to know the difference between reform, essence, and reform. But anyway, we'll go forward. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world and the community, Eleanor? Uh,
10: Good evening, Brother Africa, and to our listening audience. I'll pick up where Brother Moses left off: the state of Colorado uh, and the Constitution says that uh, under uh, 14, section 3, is that anyone that is engaged, that has taken the oath to protect the country, that has participated in insurgent or uh, any activity uh, against the country shall not be allowed to run for public office. Now, this is a decision that has been uh, made, and the Supreme Court has an opportunity to address that issue and has decided to wait for lower courts to address the issue, while at the same time, more than 10 states are involved in trying to pass similar legislation that would keep Trump off the ballot. But as Brother Moses said, uh, Donald Trump uses this as a way of declaring that democracy taken away from Americans, not uh, being protected. In addition, the uh, U.S. proxy war with the Ukraine continues to raise, rage on. But there's something important to understand about the Zionist uh, colonial occupation of Palestine, and that is the very weaponry, by weaponry, the killer drones, will be used on us as well around the world because Israel is rapidly selling these materials to other nations. And uh, it's a real wake-up call. And the UN, which was supposed to hold the greatest values of mankind is failing to do so. It holds up uh, values to some when it wishes to and ignores uh, the rights and privileges of others uh, routine and regularly. We see this in the global south as well as throughout Africa. So um, this week has been a tremendous, uh, tremendously horrifying situation in that we have seen over 20,000 dead. But when you look at it and the fact that Palestine, Gaza still has nine hospitals, so they're short on gas, water, and food, The capital of the imperialist nation, the United States of America, only has four hospitals, a million people. So we need to look at uh, what's happening with the beast and see what happens with this case involving Donald Trump and whether or not he will succeed in being on the ballot in all 50 states and territories. Thank you. That's my what's going on in my world. And we also saw 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 the 24th class of women graduated from the One Billion Rising Project in the Congo, and 82 women graduated. They understand how voting plays a role in, in their life, and how um uh, they can pay, play a role in their community. All right, thank you so much, Brother Africa.
8: Thank you, sister Eleanor. You know, panelists as we discuss what's going on now we're all in world and community, I going back down to memory lane. You play this little audio clipping. Uh if we are talking about Trump versus um the current president or if we are talking about Wall Street or if we are talking about um very wealthy and powerful Zionist institutions inside the US and outside and you know, if we are taking position and one is banned from the other, well, what is the position of this institution called the Central Intelligence Agency, and what do they fit in as it relates to saving democracy, to have faith in the people, and yet you know the people still funding money into an institution that has no response, no 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 respect for you at all. So anyway, I won't play this this little piece, this little, uh, audio, uh, audio piece on the CIA fake news in the 80s. but what's all going on today, there has never been an increase of in fake news. And I'd like to get y'all a response when we come back. This is what I see what's going on in the world. So let's take a listen to this clipping. The CIA and fake news in the 80s.
4: We all know that you can't believe everything you read, but at the same time, most journalists do try their level best to get the facts straight. It requires checking and, wherever possible, a first-hand account of what's happening. But an eyewitness account is not always possible, particularly in nasty wars on the other side of the world. And so reporters sometimes have to rely on other people's accounts. The story then becomes as good as its source, and sources sometimes lie. The U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, deals in information and misinformation. Tonight we see how the CIA has been able to plant news reports that aren't just inaccurate, but totally fabricated. This is Angola a former Portuguese colony in southwest Africa that's been at war since the mid-seventies. Its left-wing government, supported by Cuban soldiers, fights a continual battle against guerrillas backed by South Africa. Ten years ago, the Soviets helped send guns and troops here, and the United States responded with support for the guerrillas. According to newspapers at the time, that's how the Angolan War started. But did it? John Stockwell, wearing the cross, worked for the CIA for 12 years. As a colonel, his last
3: assignment was to run the U.S. campaign in Angola. The basic theme was to make it look like a a Russian-Cuban aggression in Angola. And so any kind of story that you could write and get into the media anywhere that, that pushed that line, you did. Uh, one third of my staff in this task force was covert action, was propagandist, whose professional career jobs was making up stories and finding ways to get them into the press. In
4: 1975, the resource-rich African country was being fought over by three factions. Agostino Neto led the left-wing MPLA, which eventually became the government. Jonas Savindi, an anti-Marxist, led UNITA which was openly supported by South Africa. And another anti-communist force was led by Holden Roberto, who had been paid by the CIA for 14 years and was now to receive major U.S. support.
3: The CIA had just closed down three long-term paramilitary operations in Southeast Asia, the Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. They had over 1,000 paramilitary case officers come flocking back to Washington. They didn't have desks for everybody, much less jobs, and morale was rock bottom low. They wanted a covert action, they wanted a paramilitary encounter. The rationale uh, was that uh, uh, the Soviet Union was trying to take advantage of the United States' weakness right after the, the Vietnam War that Angola was getting its independence and they were trying to snap it up, and that Henry Kissinger decided that we could not be weak and we wouldn't let them do it. Our own files disproved that. We moved into Angola first and Russians were responding to us.
4: But before the CIA could move, the U.S. National Security Council had to be sold, and Stockwell helped with the briefing.
3: The first briefings on Angola literally went, gentlemen, this is a map of Africa. Here is Angola. And then they went on with a chart to explain their three liberation movements in Angola. One of them is headed by Holden Roberto. He's the good guy. We've worked with him for years, and they use literally good guy. Then the, the MPLA is headed by this drunken, psychotic Marxist poet, Augustino Neto. He's the bad guy and they used exactly to to make sure that people understood. (laughs) Once the National Security Council had given its blessing,
4: Stockwell and the CIA cranked up their propaganda machine, and newspapers around the world became unwitting accomplices in the campaign. From the CIA's headquarters, Stockwell sent his propagandists to Britain, Portugal, Zambia, and Zaire. Far from the battlefield in Angola, they wrote news releases for the two Western-backed factions, and these were fed into the ticker taste of the Western media. Stockwell's CIA man also whined and dined Western journalists and gave them personal briefings. His man
3: in Zambia was particularly enthusiastic. He ran a story that the city of Malange had been captured by the UNITA forces, and in doing so, had captured 20 Russian advisers and uh, they thought this would show that Russians were running the thing in Angola. There weren't Russian advisors. It wasn't a factor, and we knew that.
4: But the story did well. The Toronto Star, like many newspapers, picked it up from Reuters news agency. It was also carried in the Montreal Gazette and in the Vancouver Sun.
11: I, I remember reporting that very clearly.
4: Fred Bergland was the writer's reporter who filed the story from Zambia.
11: But, um, y- years later, I discovered that um, a little CIA um, misinformation expert had sat in the um, U.S. Embassy in Lusaka and had composed that communique, and it bore absolutely no relationship at all to truth. You've got to remember, at that stage, during a war, um, you're working under incredible pressure. I, I worked for four months, without a day off for 16 hours a day and all that was wanted was a flow of information. I mean, I, I'd done the same in the Middle East war. I, I was based in Damascus. I mean, in the first week of the war in Damascus, I, I wiped out the Israeli Air Force three times over with official statements.
4: Reuters, with its headquarters here on London's Fleet Street, is one of the world's largest news agencies. Its international bureaus provide many newspapers with their only source of news from far parts of the globe.
11: Well, I mean, with hindsight, um, some of the official statements from the side I was reporting, and I stress from the side I was reporting, but also from the side that people in um, in Luanda with the MPLA were reporting. Clearly, most of those rep- those statements were completely false. The
4: CIA man in Zambia soon came up with an even better story.
3: He had some Cuban soldiers uh, raping some young Angolan girls. Uh, Then there was a battle, and he had uh, that Cuban unit cut off and captured. And then he had the Cuban women, the victims, identifying their rapists. And then there was a trial, and they were convicted. And then he had them executed by a firing squad of the women who had supposedly been violated with photographs of of, of young African women with uh, weapons shooting down these Cubans. Uh, There had never been a rape, there had never been the military action, the Cubans had never been captured, Uh, it was all fiction. Fiction maybe,
4: but it showed up on the front page of papers like the Toronto Star. The Toronto Globe and Mail also ran the story, and its headline attributed it to Angolan guerrillas. Many other Canadian newspapers in cities like Winnipeg, Montreal and Halifax picked up the story.
11: Basically, and to put it very clu- crudely, you can, um, publish any old crap you like and it will get, um, get, um, newspaper room.
4: But despite the best efforts of the CIA, the armies it supported didn't stand much of a chance once Cuban soldiers showed up. The force led by the man who'd been on the CIA payroll, Holden Roberto, was wiped out. And Unita and the South Africans made a hasty retreat. Back in Washington, Congress didn't want another Vietnam and voted against spending any more money in Angola. More recently, the CIA has found work for its skilled writers in Central America, particularly in the campaign against the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. First, the arms flow story. According to President Reagan, Nicaragua supplied guns to left-wing guerrillas in neighboring El Salvador. The Sandinista dictatorship of Nicaragua, with full Cuban-Soviet bloc support, not only persecutes its people, the church, and denies a free press, but arms and provides bases for communist terrorists attacking neighboring states. David McMichael was the CIA's senior analyst on Nicaragua. He was asked to write a report on the arms flow, but when he looked at the evidence, it didn't support
7: Reagan's claims. The, the argument that we're dealing with here is do these arms come through or from Nicaragua with the complicity of the Nicaraguan government and the evidence does not sustain that in 1981 the CIA asked McMichael for a report on the Nicaraguan press opposition and church and uh, my, my conclusion was that uh, you know there was a significant space for these uh, for these groups to operate, uh, but that they were in no, in no danger of suppression or disappearance. Compared to any other Central American country, Nicaragua has by far the liveliest uh, opposition press and media. Over two-thirds, for example, of the 40-odd radio stations in the country are, are still privately owned and generally speak their mind. When McMichael spoke his mind, the CIA
4: didn't like it. He was fired. But after four years of fighting, now, the Nicaraguan government has suspended many freedoms. In the world's newsrooms, the CIA efforts at disinformation continue to turn up. In 1982, reporters were shown photographs of what the CIA said were Soviet bases in Nicaragua, identifiable by their Soviet-styled obstacle courses, training areas, and guns.
7: I used to laugh and say, look at that Soviet-style baseball diamond over there, you know what I um, you know, this is, this is almost foolish, really, you know, to talk about this. First of all, they're not Soviet military bases. That's, that's the whole point. The second is that a barracks is a barracks. You know, an obstacle course is an obstacle course.
1: The
6: Soviet
3: freighter Bakuriani pulled into the Nicaraguan port of Corinto today, carrying a mystery cargo which could lead to a showdown between the Sandinista Just government... Just over
4: a year ago, on the day President Reagan was re-elected, his administration came up with another Nicaragua story. This one had to do with Soviet MiG fighters, which Washington said had been shipped to Nicaragua in some mysterious crates detected by satellite surveillance. The result was more headlines. But as the story developed, doubts began to emerge. Ronald Reagan had a warning today for Nicaragua and for the Soviet Union. Reagan said the U.S. still cannot confirm reports that Nicaragua has received a shipment of MiG-21 jets. But he said if the reports turn out to be true, the U.S. would take a very dim view. The Nicaraguan government has denied that crates taken off a Soviet freighter today contain any warplanes. And it's accused Reagan of trying to whip up an invasion fever. By week's end, U.S. officials were saying there weren't any MiGs after all
7: it's the usual thing. The charge makes the headlines, the retraction makes the inside pages. Eight or ten days later, it's revealed, well, MIGs weren't on the way, but that's no longer a headline. So what one is left with is the overall impression from the screaming headlines of the week earlier that Nicaragua continues to represent this enormous danger to the security of the United States, this nation of three million impoverished souls, half of whom are under the age of 15, you know.
11: Well, I would I, I would say people are very silly if they believe everything that newspapers tell them, and I think pro- probably anybody but who buys a newspaper needs a course
8: on how to read newspapers. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move, and we're talking about what's going on in your world and the community. You just heard a clipping on the CIA. And fake news in the '80s. Well, and they were doing fake news in the '80s. What, what kind of news you think they're doing today, 2023, as relates to Palestine, as relates to the reality of place in Libya, Kuwait, Iraq, Cuba, Venezuela? How do they do this? very institutions such as the Pentagon, Hollywood, Wall Street, uh, human rights organizations. What is this issue? What is this issue? What is this reality? And they all claim to talk about fighting for freedom, democracy, and justice for people. So before we get into our discussion day, panelists, what's going on today? I just like to hear y'all' response. Just recent clipping. If the fake news in the '80s, what kind of news do you think we are receiving today, brother? High Key? Yeah, yeah. Well, what we got today is more of the same. Much more intricate. Much more complex. Uh, certainly, one thing we can't discount. We have to. We have to fully embrace is that the level of ignorance in society uh, makes it possible for the kind of propaganda to, to really uh, excel. Uh, one of the reasons why the U.S. spends an amount of money in terms of keeping people entertained is by keeping people entertained keeps them away from the substantive kind of uh, inquiries like, you know, what's, going, what's really going on in your world? What is the government up to? Uh, why is uh, the wealth gap growing? Those kind of issues that are pertinent you know, to, to all, to all, all citizens. Uh, so you got to you got to you got to credit this 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 ability in terms of creating conditions in which we shy away from the wanting to know and we sh- and we we gravitate toward wanting to be entertained, and this is a part of a process. And so we shouldn't be un- we should un- clearly understand that this kind of social sociological reality uh, does have impact in terms of making us more susceptible in terms of, to to uh, U.S. propaganda. And this is a big, big problem. And as we become more and more ingratiated into the notion of having fun, uh, the hard work in terms of that it takes in terms of really understanding the world in which we live in is still being is taken for granted. People don't want to pursue that, that that avenue. People want to have some fun. They want to have, enjoy themselves. They want to relax. They want to do all these kind of things. Uh, of course, that's precisely what the people in positions of power want you to do. And so, this so the sociological piece is very, very important in terms of understanding how it gels or how it matches Uh, with, you know, the propaganda that comes out, all these institutions that you alluded to, Brother Africa, in terms of, you know, uh, the big newspaper companies, uh, you know, uh, the Pentagon, uh, the White House, so forth and so on. Uh, But one of the things, you know, Brother Africa, uh, you know, um, when we talk about in terms of propensity, in terms of using propaganda uh, to feed the public, uh, we have to give some homage to uh, John Stockwell, the former CIA agent, uh, who who sort of started the trend in terms of getting people to really focus in on this question in terms of propaganda being used by the U.S. government for the purposes of deceiving people in terms of uh, policies of the United States government. Uh, Stockwell, who of course, was born in born in Africa, was instrumental, as as the piece alluded to, in terms of you know um, establishing all kinds of propaganda or you know, against the people you know in Africa. But at some point he began to realize that, that what he was doing was not only um, uh, counterproductive, but it was um, it was, but it was exact opposition to his upbringing as a child in Africa, and which he himself acknowledged that as an Africa, as, a, as a white child going up in Africa, no one rejected him because of his skin color, and they taught him the language, they taught him the culture, they taught him all of that. And here he is betraying the same people who showed him love and respect, and he's betraying them. Uh, and he, at some point he began to realize that, hey, what I'm doing is not right, is morally it's indefensible and so therefore he began to realize that what he was engaging in was fundamentally wrong and he made a break and he and he decided he started telling everything in terms of you know how U.S. propaganda works and there's two of his books that are very very good and I encourage people to get those books one is called "In search my enemy and the second one is spy secrets um, that can save your life uh, those two books are very, very telling in terms of the role propaganda play in terms of propagandizing the, the US uh, population now, also, brother, I think we understand, you know, when we talk about the, the CIA, I mean, we'll be very, very clear on the, the obligation of CIA. The obligation of CIA is not to, is not to the people. The obligation to the, to the CIA is to the national establishment. In other words, those people who are wealthy and powerful, those people who run the society, they're responsible to, to the CIA, the CIA is responsible to them, and them only. In that regard, so when we talk about, you know, uh, conducting in- intelligence and for the, to protect national security, that's precisely what they're talking about. They're not talking about intelligence, you know, to protect national security to benefit poor people or working people or, or most American people. They're talking about protecting the, the, the corporate class, uh, the very very wealthy, uh, the billionaire class. That's what they're talking about. And so in that context. So when they use propaganda in terms of in terms of propagizing community. They're doing so with a realization that is expected that they, that's what, precisely what they would do. And here's the kicker. When we talk about the role of propaganda, we can't dismiss this notion in terms of this, this concept of fairness versus objectivity. Keep in mind, a CIA agent can come to you and tell you a story, all right? You know it's BS, but as a journalist, you've got no other recourse but to print it based upon it being fair. In other words, this is what the guys, guy, man or woman, said for the CIA. You write it verbatim that's because that's what they say. The or not it's objectively, even if you know it's BS, you have to do it because the doctrine says that in terms of being fair, you you report exactly what they tell you to write. Even though you know what they're telling you is a lie, you, ha- you, you, you you report it as fairness. You don't seek objectivity. Objectivity will tell you say, listen, you tell me something, I listen to it, and I say, wait, your story has not a into to it. What about A, B, and C? That's not your job to do. And if you did employ some objectivity in terms of a story that you received from the CIA, well, what would happen is that your editors or your publishers would eliminate any type of objectivity. It wouldn't it wouldn't make the headlines. It, it wouldn't make the, 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 the sight of day. It wouldn't, it wouldn't happen because they would eliminate that, any kind of objectivity. Because you got to understand, one thing when we talk about ed- editors and publishers in the society, they come from a p- particular strain of individuals uh, uh, in, the, in the society. We're talking about people who are generally privileged to become, become editors and publishers, not ranking five for the working class. They don't become pr- publishers and, 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 and editors. It just doesn't happen. Because the ruling class understands in order to perpetuate the lies in terms of the propaganda, you want someone in power who feels that they benefit from the propaganda and the lies is being reported, you know, uh, you know, in society, and so therefore, if you got someone from the ruling class who thinks their position is that uh, to, to maintain their position or maintain their status relies on the 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 um, the export or the the the, the exportation of, mass of the masses of people by not not allowing them information, then if you think that people shouldn't be privy to information, then you have a problem in terms of accepting CIA propaganda. Because it serve, at least you think it serves your interests, and so I think we so that's fundamental we have to we have to understand that, but again, but this question in terms of you know social condition in the u s public I think that is that is something uh so when we talk about the educational system, which is increasingly uh where they're destroying African history, where they're destroying all history pertaining to to people's ability to deconstruct or people's ability to actually think, when you think about why they're doing such a thing. They're doing it because they want a more pliable public. With a more pliable public, you have a public less capable of analyzing or looking at a situation and evaluating precisely what they're reading or what they're reading. And that is precisely what they want. They're doing it right in our face. They're not even hiding it anymore. At least, in the, at least in the 80s, you know, they at least tried to hide it. Now, they do it out front. They tell you up front, we're going to destroy African history. We're going to destroy any history <coughs> They deal with with labor rights. We can destroy all. We can destroy all history dealing with with gender affirmation. <coughs> we can destroy all of that. They tell you, and in destroying those 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 disciplines, it makes it possible for them to not only create a more pliable population, but make it, make much makes makes propaganda <coughs> that much easier, that much easier uh, uh to um do you have an impact with our lives. Uh, so clearly, brother, brother Africa, so when you ask the question, you know, if, if the history has been deception in terms of using, you know, media, uh, uh, to what extent that same kind of deception exists today? Absolutely. It's just becoming more complex. And the thing is that what people have to do, they have to fundamentally understand, is that despite their best, their the their, their worst inclination, <coughs> people have to come to the realization that, listen, just in terms of survival in the society, you got no other recourse but to socially read those th- read things in which you don't want to necessarily want to read. Because if you don't read those things you don't necessarily want to read, you never come to understand in terms of the mechanics behind the scene or those forces that that intimately impact the quality of your everyday lives. And to the extent that we don't grasp those mechanics behind the scene that impact the quality of our lives. Uh we become complicit in a, in a, in a process in which ultimately it's going to hurt us greatly so clearly we get, so for us, we have no other recourse but to read uh you know it's only read a, if only we if just an hour a day, but more importantly to start reading because and certainly we have to instill in our children to read and this notion in terms of you don't have to read just have fun and just relax, and everything's going to be okay. We have to reject that premise. We have to understand that. We have to We, we have to fundamentally understand, because if we don't, then we become more, that's much more susceptible to propaganda by the society. With that, I'll close. Thank you, Brother Haki. Talk to me, Brother Moses. If they doing fake news in the 80s, what kind of news are we getting today? Your response, Brother Moses.
9: Certainly, certainly, um, Brother Africa, um, Brother Haki, and uh, Sister Eleanor, we we are faced with a situation where we are bombarded with bourgeois propaganda, the ruling classes propaganda that 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 is intended to keep our minds within the framework of accepting their definitions and uh, and behaving accordingly. Now we must we must we must is that the was that the Donald Trump had this this um, lackey who was uh ran that b- podcast called info wars and they understood that a lie was still material force and that's why donald trump keeps repeating the same lies that he that these elections was stolen from him etc he sees if he can repeat it long enough people will believe it's real and anyway there's a lot of people who are susceptible to hypnosis and uh auto-suggesting etc cetera, et cetera. and um so he like Hitler is playing on the backwards sentiments of the people, and uh, has mesmerized the people, the backwards people. But we must, like Brother Haki say, we must study, 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 and uh, come to understand what's really going on. And so, you know, um, the Palestinian situation, you know, the big lie that that Israel is a nation that um, that it's not just a ghetto building project, but it's some kind of nation. That's the big lie. Um, people are told that uh, that you know. I'll leave it right there. I'm. Um, the, we we have to we have to assert our own agenda. That's the critical thing. The best defense from this propaganda is the offense, and we have to have our own definitions our own understanding of the world we have to study 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 and come to understand who we are and where we are and what time it is and have the presence of mind to patiently explain to the people what needs to be done and why it needs to be done answering their questions and dealing with them directly a concrete analysis a concrete condition calling out names not just ideas and thoughts like we're in a spiritual battle against that it's not against flesh and bones, but, but just spirits um, in high places. But we need to call out some names and get political, keep politics in command. And right now, you know, Netanyahu and Donald Trump are the biggest problems on the planet. I'll leave it right there. Thank you.
8: Thank you, Brother Moses. The mic is yours, Sister Eleanor. Yes. It was fake news in the 80s. What are you basing our ideas and thoughts on in 2023? Well, part of
10: the Ronald Reagan revolution in the 80s was to change journalism forever. And there was, um, I believe, legislative changes so that... um, you weren't required to uh, give factual news. You could give opinionated news, and at the time, it seemed like um, it was just entertainment. It started off with uh, alleged journalist, alleged journalist like Rush Limbo. Well, I hope I'm saying his name properly who would rant and rave on the radio and and television uh, and uh, complete falsehoods. And it has continued for the last four-plus decades. And the most that we've seen change in terms of educating the public is they call it, quote, news entertainment. For example, many many of what Fox uh, produces, Fox uh, uh, who owns so much media, uh, um, Rupert Murdoch, which owns so much in the United States, is called news entertainment, and it has very little to do with reality and it focuses on narrow things such as car hijacking and uh uh focusing on the poor against the 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 poor workers against the middle class or the field workers. So we'll hear news about people uh taking car phones, hijacking cars, instead of reporting on the lack of transportation, the fact that the United States is filled with food deserts, medical deserts, that there's transportation inequity, that there is no one-pay health system. These kind of things aren't reported on. So it creates a uh, bunch of chaos that uh, pushes the workers against each other. You see in all these mass shootings uh, of Africans, of Jews, seeing people stand on the street and see the police murder someone like George Floyd or like in Washington, D.C., where a man was trapped in his own driveway by police and asked numerous questions and required to produce ID on private property. This is a move towards a totalitarian. So news is not what's important. You heard Donald Trump in the last week refer to people as rodents, as vermin, and as animals. And many people, as long as it's not them, are willing to give up the rights of others. But the reality is, is with one group that you may not care about, but it's going to expand to all groups, because this is a war uh, of imperialism and authoritarianism and ultimately uh, some of the well-off
12: workers
10: thousands of them will also suffer and be annihilated their property their things taken away from them and only the super rich are what counts. one thing that surprised me, Brother Africa, and I'll conclude with this, was on voting. You know, often we talk about voter rights and for Africans in America and uh, there was such a struggle to have the right to vote, for indigenous people to have a right to vote. One is, uh, you know, not setting up voting districts in your community and as you've seen, they passed laws in the last couple of years where you can't give people water, you can't offer them cheers, and they wait hours in line to vote. What happens is the rich don't vote because they don't need to. They just pick up a call. The poor don't vote because they don't feel their votes matter. So what has happened is there is no true journalism, it has declined and with um, the internet having taken over you don't see hard copy papers and the New York Times or the Post you know you need to not only pay for the subscriptions you have to have the internet and the tools to be able to review those papers and So people increasingly are being cut off from any real information. Their only exposure is news entertainment through the television or radio. And we are not receiving, as you said, there's no factual news out there uh, we hear with Israel right now October 7th and the, uh, uh, the situation and the, how the people suffered. But we don't see in, or hear any reports on the 20,000 people suffering or the children starving and had, having to stand in food lines, five- and six-year-old children with a plastic bucket or something, or how devastated their communities are by these predator drones. And as Brother Moses said, uh, Yahoo Netanyahu said that they had the technology to attack precise sites. So that would lead us to wonder why was the only English-speaking library in Gaza completely annihilated last week. Why have so many hospitals, why have um, 30 hospitals or 28 hospitals been completely annihilated? Why have schools been completely annihilated? Why have so many journalists died? And why did three Israelis uh, gunned down speaking Hebrew walk? Why were they annihilated? So the reality is we in the United States and in other countries are not receiving news. There's no legal requirement. Uh, uh, making it uh, unlawful to use propaganda and falsehoods as if they are news. And this is a real social problem as well as a political problem. Thank you, my sister.
8: Thank you very much. Thank you, my panelists. What I'm going to do at this point in time is I'm going to play this audio backdrop that will lead us to a discussion when we come back as we're going to discuss this whole issue of let's get serious with European domination and exploitation of Africa today and its neo-colonial practice. Just listen to this backdrop.
13: Today
12: we'll talk about Africa, once seen by Europe as the antithesis of civilization, the heart of darkness, in the words of a certain Joseph Conrad. Centuries later, Africa remains ignored. It makes news for its conflicts, poverty and exoticism. For the longest time, the world saw it as a lost cause. Then one country saw opportunity and thus began a new race for Africa. Not very different from the scramble of the 19th century when colonial Britain and France wanted raw materials, slaves and geopolitical influence. Now in the 21st century, global powers are in more or less the same race. China, the United States, India, the European Union, Japan, Israel, Canada, all of these countries are in the race for Africa. And one country is emerging as the clear winner. Hello and welcome to Gravitas Plus, I am Palkishar Mahupadhyay and this is Africa, a continent of 54 sovereign states, 17% of the world's population, 9.6% of the global oil output, 90% of the world's platinum supply, 90% of the world's cobalt supply, half of the world's gold supply, two-thirds of the world's manganese. 35% 35% of the world's uranium, 75% of the world's colton and 54 votes in the United Nations General Assembly. This is what makes Africa so attractive and makes the continent a battleground for global powers. There are numerous fronts, investment and in infrastructure, military power, diplomacy, soft power, trade, geopolitics. Every country has its own interest in Africa. In 2016, Israel began its scramble for the continent. Benjamin Netanyahu became the first Israeli Prime Minister to visit Africa in 50 years. What did he want? Votes. In favor of Israel and against Palestine in the United Nations resolutions. Africa and Israel share similar histories, he said. Israel went on to sponsor solar, water and agricultural technologies. In the same year, 2016, Senegal co-sponsored a UN resolution. It condemned the construction of illegal Jewish settlements in the West Bank. What did Israel do? It cancelled the Mashav drip irrigation project. And this is just one example. Here's another one. The European Union has pledged more than $54 billion in sustainable investment for Africa. What does the EU want? Access to the African market of 1.3 billion people. Brussels has negotiated free trade agreements with at least 40 African countries. But does this ensure a balanced two-way trade? It doesn't. And no country has a bigger interest in Africa than China. China is funding one in five infrastructure projects in Africa. It is building every third one. Africa has an infrastructure deficit and China has a signed checkbook. Starting 2005, China has invested at least $2 trillion in Africa. It built 6,200 kilometers of railways, including the continent's longest railway line connecting Ethiopia and Djibouti. Beijing has also built the African Union headquarters in Addis Ababa. What does China get in return? A lot. Geopolitical influence to start with. Beijing is selling its culture, its currency. In Guinea-Bissau, exit signs are written in Mandarin. China has established at least 50 Confucius Institutes across 33 countries. Several African countries use Chinese currency. China also gets a strategic overseas base. In 2017, China built its first overseas base at the Horn of Africa, Djibouti to be specific. Djibouti connects the Mediterranean Sea to the Indian Ocean via the Suez Canal. The base has the capacity to accommodate 10,000 troops. China also gets a market to dump its goods. China is Africa's largest trading partner. Chinese trade has increased 40-fold in the last two decades. At least 10,000 Chinese firms operate in Africa. This is according to a McKinsey study. Africa has resources and China has access. Did you know that a third of China's investments in Africa are in the mining sector? And finally, it gets to debt-trap Africa. But here's the thing. China is not the only country investing in this continent. It's not even the biggest. The United States is Africa's largest investor. It accounts for $54 billion of FDI stock. There are 600 American companies operating in South Africa alone. And this, even after the U.S. President called Africa this. For the longest time, Africa was nothing but a war zone for Washington. It has over 7,000 troops deployed in the continent. They are spread across some 13 African countries including Burkina Faso, Cameroon, Central African Republic, Chad, Democratic Republic of Congo, Kenya, Libya, Mali, Mauritania, Niger, South Sudan, Somalia and Tunisia. For the U.S., Africa was a continent for counter-terrorism operations. What happened then? Why is the U.S. suddenly interested in Africa? The answer is this. For the U.S., Africa is now a new front to take on China, and Washington is now fighting it out for power and influence. An article on the U.S. State Department website reads, and I quote, Africa is the continent of the future. Thus, we need to make the most of its potential. By 2050, its population will more than double to 2.2 billion people with over 60% under the age of 25. Where is Africa's interest in all of this? Also, what about India? What role does India play in this continent? New Delhi's ties with Africa date back to the time of Mahatma Gandhi. India was part of the Bandung Project of 1955. New Delhi supported Africa's anti-colonial struggles. It supported the liberalisation movements in Ghana, Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, Angola, Mozambique, Guinea-Bissau. India also raised the issue of racism in South Africa. It will be unfair to say though that India's newfound interest in Africa has nothing to do with China. In 2018, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi toured key African states just ahead of Chinese President Xi Jinping's visit. In 2018, India decided to open 18 new embassies in Africa. India has defence partnerships with Zambia, Nigeria, Ghana, Ethiopia, Botswana, Uganda, Mozambique and Namibia. New Delhi is currently training African military. Indian company Airtel is a dominant telecom firm in Africa. New Delhi is offering 50,000 scholarships to African students. Despite everything, India is far behind China in the race for Africa. China's Belt and Road Initiative has sealed its hold on Africa. If in the 1900s Africa was colonised with force, In 2020, it is being trapped by loans. China accounts for 14% of sub-Saharan debt. In Kenya, the volume of Chinese loans is six times that of France, which is the country's second largest creditor. And Sri Lanka can tell you what happens when Chinese loans are not repaid. China is looking to capture Africa. It has a strong diaspora. It is spending big money. It is selling its movies, culture and currency. China extracts raw materials. It manufactures products with them and sells them back to this continent. Does this remind you of something? What did the British do in India? In the 19th century, the rivalry between Britain and France fueled Africa's colonization. In the 21st century, the trade war between the United States and China is hastening the same. Just like the 19th century, there are numerous countries in the scramble for Africa. And just like the 19th century, there is nothing in it for Africa.
11: Co-presented by Skoda, Simply
7: Clever.
12: You heard the audio
8: clipping that you can find on YouTube. It was getting their perspective uh, on the title Race for Africa. We we may not and we don't necessarily agree with all of the materials one may articulate from their perspective. But we do want to share with you perspectives and information that will be of value. And helping you to be more critical. So the last part of the um that audio it seems to be more anti China for whatever reason. But anyway, that's their position is not on the move. So we're going to our theme today, open topic, open discussion on that theme. Tonight, we'd like to hear from our panelists. And if you would like to join in just dial in at one three two three, six seven nine oh eight four one. Our theme tonight is, and I said this, and we said this, because it is what it is. Let's get serious. Let's get serious with European domination and exploitation of Africa today and its current neo colonial practice. We want to direct you to two particular documentaries on YouTube and we praise the the people, the brothers and sisters who done these documentaries have raised such a critical understanding of some of the real realities in Africa and my African people today. Those two documentaries or videos that you can find on YouTube are titled African leaders just opened up in UN, saying enough is enough. And the second one is, can your president bless just blast the West while in European Parliament? we can have this open dialogue discussion with our panelists at this point in time. And Brother Haki, looking at those videos and just reading this backdrop, just speak to this whole issue of, you know, let's get serious about this whole question of European domination and exploitation of Africa today and this question of how it's using neo-colonialist practice to carry out continued domination since its arrival in Africa. Your thoughts, Brother Hakeem. Talk to the people. Yes, Brother Hackie. I'm sorry, brother uh I'm sorry. Uh what was that question again? The question is just your general response to the two videos that we chose to speak on as it relates to our theme and our theme tonight is let's get serious with European domination and exploitation of Africa today and its current near colonialism practice. There are two interesting videos on YouTube. One is African leaders just opened up in the U.N., said enough is enough. And the second one is, can your president just blast the West while in European Parliament? Your response to your take on on, on what we're saying in the video as relates to what you just heard from our backdrop of uh, the race for Africa, and, um, but in this context, we want to talk about European domination and exploitation of Africa today. What do we take from these two particular documentaries, from your perspective, that the audience should be aware well? of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you know, brother Africa, let me let me just be very, very, very candid here for a while. Uh, you know, one of the things is that. You know, um when 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 African I appreciate the African president stand up and saying, Listen, essentially what they're saying was enough is enough and essentially critique the history of imperialism, you know, on the African continent. And of course that's all all well and good. But what I found problematic is that if we if we're going to acknowledge imperialism existence on the African continent, why there are no policies in terms of Sicily to undermine imperialism on Western Western Dove, Western on 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 the African continent, it seems to me a, a tendency among many African leaders to persist in the current economic and political arrangements uh, to the detriment of Africa. By while on one hand talking about the need in terms of to suffer the change on the continent, but on the other hand embracing the same policies that essentially uh, uh, undermines Africa's development. So I'm, so I'm hard pressed to understand where they're coming from. And one of the things I'm 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 very concerned about is you know like. Uh, you know, the real motivation in terms of, you know, making certain kinds of statements. Certain kinds of statements are very good in terms of, you know, calling attention to oneself. Certain kinds of statements are very good in terms of, you know, um, know, um, perhaps uh, presenting, you know, a potential coup in society by telling people that, uh, in fact, that their interests are your interests. Uh, But my problem is that, you know, one of the things that if you're going to bring about substantive change, then, if you don't want to address the imperialist structure in terms of you know policy, uh, then what you're telling me is that you, in essence, you support the status quo as you support things as they currently exist. For instance, so when we talk about imperialism of African continent, brother Africa, one of the things that you know it seems to me, and Momar Gouddafe was absolutely correct. If you're going to talk about a united, a free Africa, then you can't do that without talking about a, a central bank of Africa. You have you have to have that, but I don't have I don't hear any African leader talking about a central bank of Africa. I I don't have I heard one. I heard regions in terms of talking the possibility in terms of forming a, a single currency, uh, you know, based upon a, 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 uh, a an agreement between you know certain regions, you know, the continent, and that's positive and that's very very good. But what if that regional development in terms of creating a, a currency representative of that particular region if that if that development of that particular currency is not strong enough to refute the power of the of you know uh, of the current uh, monetary system or the current imperialist system in terms of you know how money is assessed and how money is valued then the bottom line is that it's not going to be very good in terms of bringing you know real power to the continent of africa so i have a problem so i have a problem with that it seems to me if you're not talking about you know an african central bank then seriously what you're saying is that the possibility in terms of you know you know creating a strong currency which is key is an impossibility and of course we understand that without the strong currency then we understand that uh, in terms of just pricing commodities you know it becomes impossible to price because as long as commodities are priced in terms of in terms of western states determining the prices of the commodities then of course those those commodities are priced at a, at a way in which this this in value this empowers Africa, but the same token empowers Western states, and so therefore, that fundamentally, that kind of arrangement, that kind of formula that currently exists in in international arena in terms of financing, can only be addressed by a strong Central African Bank. But I don't hear any African leader saying we need an African Central Bank, you know. And so, and so, <coughs> excuse me. So the question in terms of that that, that discussion, in terms of in terms of African Central Bank, has to take place. And I just don't hear on the African continent. Uh, Muammar Gaddafi was the last person to even articulate that. And, of course, you know what happened to Muammar Gaddafi when he attempted that. Well, he was assassinated by the U.S. So clearly, you know, so I'm, so I'm hard-pressed to understand why certain things are not taking place in terms of making Africa legitimately free, uh, by the same token, you know, uh, giving you know, lip service to, you know, to, to change you know, while, while not embracing real change but really conforming to the system as it currently exists, you know, internationally. So I'm hard pressed to even understand why that's such a such a thing. Uh also, you know, I think the question in terms of, you know, commodity prices is so so key, Brother Africa. One of the things is that when you think about in terms of the value of currency, you know, one thing they had to figure in uh uh particularly uh is the question in terms of, you know, uh the the question of raw materials. Raw materials has a figure in con, con, considerably in terms of price one's one asset, uh, price in currency the currency of one state. So the more currency that you contribute, you know, to the global marketplace, then the more the value your currency should express, you know, your, the, the level of, of commodities, the level of commodities that you would, that you uh, provide, you know, for the world. Uh, that's not happening in Africa. Those commodity prices because they're established by the Western world. Uh, it does a disservice to Africa in terms of commodity prices. Commodity prices very very low. Those Western states purchase them very very cheaply. They come over here, and process them, then sell them back to Africa at exorbitant prices. And it's and it's continued to to disempower to impoverish Africa. And the mere fact that African leaders won't a- acknowledge that for me is problematic. And so I'm trying to understand. So when you talk about enough is enough, you give these grand speeches, you know about well, you know uh, if. You know, uh, if listen, the West are doing A, B, and C, you know, uh, you know that this is how to change in terms of, you know, making a more equitable marketplace in the international arena, that's all fine and good. But the question is that we have to understand that fundamentally the West has no obligation in terms of creating a fair just harmonious world. That's not their interest. Their interest is to maintain exploitation of the African continent. The question becomes, what are African leaders doing to prevent that? And I just don't hear it, Brother Africa. So maybe it's just me. But accepting that, I accept you now to listen. I'm saying, listen. Africa has these problems. You know that. Now, what is your kind of strategy to the Western strategy? There is none. Essentially, to go along with the Western strategy at the expense of of, the African economies. So I'm I'm, I'm hard-pressed to understand what's what's really going on. I did enjoy uh, uh, President Otto of Ghana when he talked about reparations. Uh, At least we got one president out there with some backbone in terms of saying, listen, the systematic destruction, you know, of African states, uh, the human psychic damage that you've done to a people, you know, can't be simply dismissed. And I know there are people saying, "Well, you know, well, slavery is not slavery is not new. Slavery's always been around." You know, yes, slavery has always existed to varying levels. But when you talk about in terms of the brut- brutality, the brutal nature of slavery, the brutality of Western slavery was unprecedented. You can't compare the the, the brutality of Ups slavery with, with with western slavery the others are brutal, no question about that but this difference being they were brutal but the whole but the whole point is that at some point you were able to become part become part of that of that state, providing you adopted to islam and so you became part of that state and so the so that so that thats that, so that slave sort of slave uh, 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 uh that sort of slave that you acquired somehow d- dissipates. I now, I don't, don't get me wrong. Now, I'm not naive. I do understand that there are those Arabs in the world who still practice in slavery based upon skin color. Don't get me wrong; they still exist. But the historical saving of Arabs was that, listen, if you, you know, you know, you, we colonize you, but <coughs> you know, once you embrace Islam, then you become part of the community. So it's a different thing. Whereas in the when when was in slavery, the brutality was consistent. And very very brutal, because not only were you defined as a slave, they even create system, they even create false sciences to justify your enslavement and your brutality. And the problem is that <coughs> that brutality really never really never stops. It's typically different different forms. Whereas in the past they could just literally beat you, now they can beat you providing you're in, you're incarcerated, or they can beat you emotionally, psychologically, materially to make you wish that you were dead. And so therefore the so inflicting punishment on African people, the form has changed. The essence in terms of inflicting harm on African people hasn't changed when they're older. So when we talk about the viciousness of of of, of, of 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 um slavery compared to the compared, you know, Western and Eastern slavery or even African on African slavery, there is no comparison between the two. There are two different there are, there are two different there are two different kinds of slavery. My position is you, I think I would agree that slavery is slavery and they're both equally, they're both wrong. But in terms of, in terms of, in terms of, in terms of their brutality, in terms of the, 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 the the impact or the psychological, psychic impact in terms of Western, Western slavery versus Arab slavery or African slavery, uh, the two can't, the, 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 the three can't be compared. I mean, Western slavery by far much more barbaric. And the fact is that, not only we're talking about historically, but we're talking about currently. So if we're talking about something that happened in the past, then we can leave it in the past. But this is something that's ongoing. And so this makes, this makes, makes slavery particularly pernicious, you know, in the a in Western context. And so this is why, you know, so so I just want to clarify that for people saying, well, you know, uh, well, the Arabs had slaves, you know, Africans had slaves, you know, you know what I mean? Yes, and they're absolutely correct. They did have slaves. You know what I mean? So, but you can't. But there is certainly no comparison between the kind of slavery practice in those societies versus the kind of slavery versus in Western society. Two different things. But in any event, brother Africa. So I think I appreciate the fact that Nana Addo of Ghana at least raised the question in terms of reparations because they acknowledges not only the systemic, but they also the psychic abuse in terms of people who are suffering from the effects of that slave trade. You know that, that that existed, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Uh, so I so I really appreciate that. But but my general my general concern is about Africa is that listen, if you tell me that imperialism exists, but if you want to acquiesce and you continue to participate in imperialist structures, then you can't be serious about in terms of bringing about a redress to imperialism. If in fact you're going to participate in that same system that in fact under underdevelops you know an, an entire continent. Also, for me, I think that was very, very problematic, and with that, i close. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Hockey. Um, I had a little delay in our technical um, board, I told you earlier. Uh, they said it's still operating on the system, so some of the stuff is outside of our control, but we got it back. It came back. But in terms of this question of um, our theme tonight, and we're talking about, let's get serious with European domination and exploitation of Africa today. And the second part of it is its current neocolonialism pra- practice. Um I can't even think about one of the things I was looking at in Ghana, and I can come to answer Anthony, Anthony, on my way to you now, is that um, looking at those two videos, the one dealing with Africa telling you UN, enough is enough, and the other one speaks to the Kenya president, he blessed the West while in European Parliament. But one of the things I'm looking at, I'm just wondering, down, I'm just trying to figure out, you know how your resources are being stolen, highly exploited, you have messed up agreements ever since the the existence of your so-called political political state called Ghana. How do all of the gold reserves that go in Ghana, ninety ninety to 95% of it? Is owned and given and controlled by forces outside, European forces, individual, and the state itself only has access to 10%. How can that be continued to be accepted? I don't get it. Talk to me, Brother Anthony. What do you take from these uh, two documentaries and as relates to our theme today? some of the things you like to share with our listening audience. The mic is yours, Brother Anthony.
13: Thanks, uh thanks, Brother Africa. And uh uh Let's see, you ra- you raise a very good question. And uh my takeaway from these videos is that uh the uh the criticism of Europeans And their role in Africa is positive. But I did not see uh, uh, the problem is I don't see any concrete uh, steps taken toward political unification. Which would solve uh, the contradiction of some of these economic relationships that exist presently. I do I did not uh see any African uh uh leadership address uh concrete steps toward political unification. And this applies to uh Mali, uh Burkina Faso and uh Niger as well. And even though uh, even though they uh they're trying to uh, throw off the effects of French neocolonialism, they have not taken uh serious steps toward political unification, which is the only solution that would uh would eliminate uh neocolonialism and uh, European exploitation once and for all. I think uh I think the masses of the people are putting pressure on the political leadership uh to at least uh talk uh the rhetoric of criticizing um uh your Europeans for past redresses and whatnot and for the continued uh, oppression and exploitation of Africa. But I do not see, at least among uh, the so-called uh, elected leadership, concrete steps towards pan-Afghanism. And, uh, and I think that's critical because that would be, the only solution that would, um, you know, would, uh, you know, address some of the economic contradictions that brother Haki pointed out earlier. And, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, my takeaway is that, uh, the masses are putting pressure on the political leadership to, uh, at least change, but, uh, let's see, uh, you know, unless they're concrete steps toward, uh, pan-Africanism, uh, you know, that, uh, that is the litmus test for me. What, uh, what, uh, what are they doing to, um, you know, uh eliminate the present political borders which are an uh an impediment to Africa's development because it uh it, it, it preserves the structure that the Europeans grew up at the Berlin Conference. And uh and uh you know and uh so I think um you know uh you know, while the the rhetoric, uh, you know, sounds good, there have to be concrete steps taken toward political unification. Because without that, uh, you know, you really, uh, you really can't get a handle on your economic situation.
8: I uh, hear you, Brother Anthony. I would just like to cross, cross you. On the issue of what steps may and may have not been taken, as we talk about trying to create this 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 this, this, this manure of concretizing, you know, Billy Pan-Africanism, because I have seen when you talk about Burkina Faso, Niger, Mali, there seem to be taking steps to go precisely what you are raising which I think at this point in time, probably one of the brightest things on the continent um, you know throughout the continent uh, I'll just caution you to you know maybe research that a little more and take a closer look at those particular countries, but I do think mm-hmm. it's better to understand more in particular the role of Europe in the West and how they are controlled Africa, so we don't know how to policies and make decisions to to eradicate this, this this domination and exploitation of our people. Uh, you know, because even this question of contractual agreements, no contracts agreements can be forever and can't be changed. And now that we see mm-hmm. these kind of agreements they have with, our, with European countries, and we saying we can't make no changes, that creates a real, real issue in terms of whether or not if we should about becoming a free people. the well, anyway, we have your take. We go to Sister Eleanor. Talk to us, sister, sister Eleanor. What issues and lessons you like to share with our people as it relates well to our thing. Let's get serious. With European domination and exploitation of Africa today and its current neocolonialism practice. Because it's definitely a neocolonial practice when you look at most of the African leadership that neo-colonialism. As the brother said earlier, men don't speak out their mouth, do what I said, but not as I do. So your response, Sister Eleanor? Well,
10: the um, president of Kenya was uh, clear to talk about the advancement of Africa. And the development of Africa, and the fact that everything that was discovered in Africa or the Global South would no longer be uh, the property of the Europeans, and that there would need to be a new uh, uh, community, a new, a new uh, uh, economic community and uh you they talked about uh the important focus was the lack of access to energy for one billion people where their resources had caused the development of uh, of Europe after war World War two and the Marshall Plan was devised to redevelop Europe while underdeveloping Africa. So we saw the fact that there seemed to be a great deal. We talked about the South African meeting on the BRIC and developing new currency and the importance of getting rid of the old French currency that's still being used by 14 countries to underdevelop uh, or to keep Africa underdeveloped. Um, As you said, we're seeing great changes now in the Congo and Burkina Faso and uh, other places and we'll continue to see this type of growth. But I think that there really was some serious conversation on the issue of uh, global warming and that across the Sahel um, refugees right now right now by the millions uh, are having to move or attempting to move to the global north because of the climatic conditions in Africa and the fact that uh, nearly 10 of the world's hottest global spots on earth are on the continent. Though the continent did not create the conditions that caused global warming, and there was a serious discussion on the greening of Africa, so that would include reforestation. It would include the development of new agricultural and technology being developed. And um, we saw when when uh, the Zionist state of Israel went to Senegal and has gone other places, and is refusing to make accessible its uh, technology, its farming technology, which has turned. Uh, arid land into a green land or fertile land. So um, you see that the uh, African uh, Environmental Conference itself set up by African nations for African nations. Example of beginning to address the issue of global warming independently which uh, caused there to be better preparation when they were at 28. But it is true that in the Western media, we didn't see that presence visibly. We saw the uh, oil-rich nations, Arab nations, Uh, We saw those people and the EU, their presence, whenever you saw a news clip or read an article, was quite, that's what we, but in reality, Africa is changing and it is um, figuring out ways to bring electricity and other resources to its communities. And people are united around uh, getting information um, by um, such things as cyber cafes, cyber libraries. So everyone can take their computer or their phones and and, uh, communicate on a broader level. So... uh, This was discussed in both videos, and uh, the president of Senegal and uh, the president of Ghana, in particular the president of Ghana, talked about uh, the importance of agribusiness and setting up uh, uh, a green continent. And that being the future of the continent, and that the resources would no longer be uh, given away as commodities, but that there was a they would be equal in in equality in in the resources, and the President of Ghana also talked about reparations, And the devastation that uh, the Middle Passage has had on Africa and the Americas and the importance of reparations and the importance of paying the debts, repaying the debts of the past, as well as establishing new contracts and goals for the utilization of coming
8: into the future. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Moses, your take for the two videos. As relates to our theme tonight, let's get serious with European domination and exploitation of Africa today and its current neo-colonialism practice. Your thoughts Brother Moses. Mike, it's yours.
9: Thank you, thank you, thank you. I think, you know, pretty much uh, Sister Eleanor covered a pretty good little uh, survey of what was happening in the videos. Uh, Brother Haki and Brother Anthony have broken down uh, the need for a Pan-Africanist vision and a, and a pursuit of concrete struggles to to uh, implement a pan-Africanist program. And so, you know, these people are showing progress in that they're recognizing the problem and European domination and what's going on. But, you know, more advanced fighters, where the correct ideas come from, come from experience in the struggle. And PLO, Lumumba, and uh, um, Julius. Um uh, I don't it was I don't wanna say naive, but uh,
8: November, from uh GFL, Lima. Malima. 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 Yeah. Malima. I think
9: these kind of, uh-huh. these are the kind of people who shown shown that they understand the problem a little more and are a little more educated on what needs to be done. And so we need to be focusing our attention on 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 the veterans of the struggle and uh pointing people in that direction um i think you know it's pan-africanism or courage and so you know we we have to uh support support a green greening of africa certainly you know we support that um um the, the the as brother africa pointed out the um the Sahel countries are getting together the three countries Burkina feso and uh Niger, and uh um' i'm bad on memory but anyway um Mali. people are getting together people are getting together and uh and um they're consciously pursuing um the interests, self interests are proactive. And a positive offensive program against you have to have an offense It's not enough to talk about what Europe has done and and how they did this and they can do that and all that I mean it's great, but it's to recognize the problem, but you have to have an offense a proactive program of what a self determined program about what you're about and what you're trying to accomplish and uh and stick with that and um and not so and 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 the other problems will be more clearer and uh, and less um, false evidence appearing real, less fear about the future uh, if we uh, stick with our own program. And I'll leave it right there. Thank you.
8: Thank you, Brother Moses. Uh, panelists, if 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 I could have y'all just draw a little more juice from the rationale of why African leaders are demanding Europe to get out of Africa and or to change its relationship with Africa. How do we give a picture of when we said domination and and, and exploitation? Can we break that down a little more in terms of what are they doing? What is this relationship they have Africa in the position of being dominated and being exploited by Europe. So can I get y'all to speak to those issues, that factor, or, or describe that picture for our well, listening audience the best that you can and some concrete terms and examples and what this, these compla- complaints are about when you look at the so-called political class leadership today in Africa as relates to how this is taking place and is done. Brother Haki. Brother Haki, let me turn on your mic and the mic is yours now. Thank you for your patience. Yeah. Well, you know the 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 avenues they use in terms of the 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 um the subjugation of Africa is basically in the in the um in the financial arena, uh international finance specifically. Uh, For instance, I think, Gustavo people should understand that when we talk about currency, uh, the value of currency, this is important. One of the things I alluded to earlier when we talk about the value of currency, uh, you know, one of the things we talk about the great uh, raw resources that Africa possess, that when you think about the possession of those resources, that certainly should figure in in terms of the value of the currency. But that's not what's happening. The currencies values are established by the West. In fact, African currencies have no real value other than other than trade among african other african states uh it doesn't have any, you know, any it doesn't have any real, real real value when it comes to currencies uh when it when without the same african currencies have to compete with western currencies and as a result of you know african currencies lacking value in order to to facilitate uh, uh uh payment let's say africa borrow money right and also facilitate you know uh um uh, um uh you know uh even even borrowing the money the money has to be borrowed in western currency so in order for the africa to do that what it has to do it has to it has to it has to borrow money to to it has to borrow money to borrow money uh in terms of in terms of uh you know uh receiving the money it needs in terms of trying to uh trying to do the things the economy needs so the consequence of being in a situation where uh African have to African have to use currency to purchase western currency it creates a defi- real deficit for African economies because otherwise so when you talk about the relatively high strength of western currencies and the relatively low strength of African currencies it takes a tremendous amount of, more of African currencies to account for 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 western currencies and so every time Africa, Africa borrows western currencies in terms of to, to for investments it means that it does so at a loss. And this is this is this is one of the reasons why it's in difficult. It's impossible for Africa to, 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 to come from under that kind of subjugation. Uh, Africa has to fundamentally understand that, you know, with you know without a, 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 a stronger value in terms of its currency, there's no way it can. Because its currencies are subservient to the to the to the strength of Western currencies. And that's all by design. That is that is no mistake. And so the question becomes why do african leaders continue to partake in a system which devaluates that devalues their currencies but values western currencies who don't have no raw resources uh, uh how does such how does such a formula uh work why why is it there legitimacy to that why is it that uh, you know uh, african currencies you know continue to continue to be rated so poorly uh at the at the expense of western currencies even though the commodities that African currency, the commodities that Africa Africa possess, uh, it's just so it's just so great relative Western Western uh, of, of raw resources that uh, it doesn't make sense in terms of why African currencies will be valued so lowly. So none of this makes any sense at all. So again, this question in terms of currency becomes a very difficult question for African states because the currency is re- valued so relatively low, and so it, it, of course. So it finds itself at a disadvantage. Uh, so again, uh, you know, one of the things, you know, I think, um, and I have to re- 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 reiterate this, is that one of the things that when you talk about in terms of in terms of investments, uh, it has to be it has to be done in Western currencies. The only way they can do that is to borrow Western borrow money from the West in terms of making those 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 transactions possible. So that is fundamentally a problem. Also. When we think in terms of the function of these central banks in Africa, uh, like, you know, one of the real ironies is that when you talk about the the function of central banks, uh, in Africa, you know, central banks are designed to mimic everything the Federal Reserve in in Washington, D.C. does. So if Federal Reserve lowers interest rates, then African central banks are expected to lower their interest rates as well. So whatever they do, uh, they're expected to do the, the same. The problem with that kind of arrangement is that you don't have really control over your economic policy. And if you don't have control of economic policy, uh, then the, the bottom line is that you know, without control of economic policy, there's no possibility in terms of creating uh, a situation, uh, uh, or economically where you can plan in terms of maximizing the potential in terms of profitability. Uh, and so, therefore, uh, this process is, is is confounded by the fact that aside from not being able to maximize your bill in terms of you know economically planning also you keep in mind it's that western states determine in terms of just how much money uh african banks have have to have in terms of in terms of being able to operate and so if african banks don't have a certain amount of liquidity in their accounts and again liquidity is basically liquidity is basically uh is, is a mixture of, of of some african currencies but mostly western currencies because again western currencies have more value and so therefore uh the the feeling being that with with western currencies uh any kind of economic emergency that arises western currencies has the strength to to provide uh to provide the, the liquidity that the uh, that the the, the the banks need in terms of covering any potential investments you know from investors throughout the world uh so clearly uh this this liquidity requirement is 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 a very difficult situation for Africa because if you don't have control over your the function of your money supply of your money, over, over money, then you certainly can't supply you can't control the supply of money and in terms of high function high moves through you know in and out of your system. you have no control of that. that is done by western states and so for anyone who, who, who are rational, that is crazy that you have a situation which you don't have control over the flow of currencies through your system that the flow of currencies through your system is determined by states you know far far away you know, from your country uh, so that's the second thing. Uh I think that's that's basically it. I think those things are important. I think the, the question in terms of currency, the currency manipulation that takes place in the low value of, of African currencies and the liquidity question in terms of undermining uh, Africa's uh, economic uh uh economic economic abilities, uh simply by um, ensuring that Africa uh in, in have a certain amount of reserves, you know, in its banks in terms of being able to pay out pay out for investments uh, or, or, or borrowing costs or those kinds of things. Uh, so, so clearly, brother Africa, those kind of things have to fundamentally change. But that's the problem in terms of in terms of you know in, on the international arena, why Africa is so 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 uh, hard pressed in terms of being able you know to rise above the fray. These things fundamentally have to change. If these those things don't change, then the bottom line is that imperialism will, will, will only continue to persist. And I close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, talk to me. One of the things um, that would show why they want Europeans out of Africa and, dom- and, and to e- eliminate that domination is what about the financial price arrangement for their resources? It has been supported for for I don't know how long. France is getting uranium out of Niger. For as little as ninety cents per ounce, but turn around and resell it to other countries for two hundred U.S. dollars. Just give you as an example. So talk to me, brother after Talk to me. The mic is yours. Yes. What other forms forms of domination and how it's done that we need to look at because it's clearly it seems to be that in order for Western European countries to exist, their whole premise is based upon Africa must be at the bottom and they must own and control their resources and get it for as little as as free. Your response. Yes.
13: Yes. One of the ways in which which, uh, uh, Africa suffers is because it is not able to set the price of its raw materials, and that impedes Africa's development because it can industrialize. It doesn't have the resources to do so, and uh, and uh, this is uh, this is uh, uh, continues to be a very serious problem. One of the other ways in which uh, Europe uh, continues to exploit Africa is uh they sell uh they sell man- manufactured goods on the African continent. And uh and uh, this uh this and because they control the price of everything, Africans have to spend more for manufactured goods from uh from from Europe and the US. And uh and this undermines uh uh Africa's ability uh to de- uh to develop uh resources to sustain itself. Now going towards a green economy would help, but Uh, As I said earlier, uh, let's see, uh, you know, uh, concrete steps have to be taken toward political unification. And uh, it is through that political unification that it's possible to change economic relationships. And, uh, you know, so
8: uh, so that needs Brother, to be done. Brother Anthony, yeah. can I raise something with you based upon what you said and how the world continue to allow other people to dictate to Africa and make Africa look like it's just weak and hopeless and can't make changes based upon its own internal drive and discipline? If you are selling resources, you are very little getting very little from it from the beginning. If also if eighty percent of the electricity that has been provided by France coming out of Nigel, but yet the people in Niger itself don't get any benefit from his own materials, who will really suffer the most? If African people say, okay, no more no more uranium if they can't you know, deal with um, on a different exchange. If we will hold that, who would suffer the most?
13: Europe, actually, because uh, so what did you uh, say about
8: we can't dictate and affect prices? Is that a more of a political, ideological issue or, or believe in that? Just go, i said um, so? that's what it is? is i don't get it
2: a political you,
13: you issue okay. it's a political issue primarily and uh and uh, let's see and uh now with uh if Africa was unified and uh socialist Instead of uh, divided into uh, these fifty-four states, some of which are not uh, 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 are not economically or, or or politically viable for the most part, which is uh, which is why.
8: But as in some sorry. cases, just me, and you have this a change. But educational um, consciousness raising is that. I read some information from the European source where they said the old model is about owning and owning and being, being being the owner of something. But this new model is saying ownership is not necessarily the key aspect to um, making money and strong people. It's your ability to control. A lot of people can own things, but people still can control it. So I'm saying even if African countries get together and collaborate in terms of resources, but we see operating on the same relationship that we had with with, with, with these same reactionary forces, um, you know, it just would make for a larger market for them to exploit and get more from us. So it's a difference of time you can own, but that don't necessarily control that we need to take a look at. So I just want to raise that point in terms of your dissertation. we we'll finish on Anthony. Yeah. Uh, let's
13: see. You make a good point it is about control and uh, and uh, that's why uh, uh, you know uh, 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 you know people uh, pan afghanists such as teray uh, and Krumah and uh quamontaray worked so hard for uh, you know for pol- uh, for uh, for uh, uh, political unification uh because uh you know in these uh the way I, uh the way Africa is uh divided into these small microstates it uh, that none of them have the power to control their resources that is why uh unification becomes uh so important Not only uh uh politically but also even militarily uh because uh uh none of the African uh states have the ability to stand up to imperialism uh uh you know as they're constituted and uh and uh Libya the situation with Libya is a case in point and uh, you know uh, let's see uh, and um, you know uh, uh, we need to find ways of helping each other out uh, you know more and uh, let's see and you know and uh uh one of the uh the other ways is, is through the presence of these uh foreign military bases in Africa and uh and that's another means by which uh european uh europeans strangled the development of uh uh of Africa through the continued uh, through the continued military presence, and uh, and uh, and uh, if um, Africa formed uh, an African High Command that would put uh, the defense of Africa in uh, uh, in, uh, in the hands of uh, the people. And uh, you know, and uh, you know, uh, not, uh, and it would reduce its dependency upon foreign military aid, which is a form of subjugation.
8: Thank you, Brother Anthony. Sister Eleanor, talk to me, Sister Eleanor. Can you give us some more concrete ze- examples? or how you have used different methods to dominate and South Africa and why the African leadership want them out and change our relationship? Sister Eleanor, the mic is yours.
10: One way clearly is by keeping that uh, CF, uh, is it the acronym Is it CFA or the franc that they use that uh, is not equal to the euro. Um The other is by trying to set up private, uh, uh, allowing for rapid capitalism to have private corporations or LLCs mining in different countries for the same resources, causing uh, uh, there to be uh, a great, uh deal of stress also sanctions US sanctions like what you saw with the United States when Uganda decided to sell several million billion about a billion dollar, a little under a billion several million dollars worth um excuse me uh, uh million dollars worth of uh gold without the US permission they were then sanctioned. So by you utilizing sanctions, also discovered that several of the coups in sub-Saharan Africa were uh, European, whether Great Britain, the United States, or the EU uh, planned coups and coups these coup d'etat um, has undermined. African, so it's been both political uh, as well as uh, uh, corporate as well as sanctions that have undermined and also the labor. When you look at uh, the industry and the Mars company and how they're a multi-million dollar company. And uh they are having children who families own and mm-hmm. uh, whose families own these uh, certain very poor farms with a very rich crop have children as young as five um, collecting cocoa plants for pennies an hour or a day while they're selling uh, candy bars for three and four dollars a bar at three and four ounces using less than an ounce of chocolate to cocoa to produce a pound of chocolate. So we see all kinds of uh, ways that uh, corporate – the corporate West and their political campaigns um uh, manipulate Africa and african resources and one thing you mentioned once, brother Africa was on now here Ghana is on the gold exchange, but the Ghanaian government owns less than twenty five percent of the gold,
8: less than that. Yes.
10: And so we need to see what we saw with the end of apartheid in South Africa and Rhodesia. We need to see the nationalization of mines and uh, the development of strong labor unions will help foster this. So there are many avenues that... Underway. And uh, we have to, and I believe uh, the diaspora and the uh, Africans at home unite and become aware of uh, the revolution. Take a look back at what Ahmed Toure. Did in liberating Ghana and the role that Fidel Castro played in that liberation, and so again, African education becomes essential. Africans have uh, on the continent seem to have superior education in many ways than that of the West. However, what's kept what's kept from them are the history of their Colonial states as they were established by the Europeans. And we need to see some changes in terminology. You know, we call African people as we do Native American people. Native American people call themselves nations. We're calling Africans tribes, whether they're the Fulani, whether they're the Maasai, you know, whatever tribes are larger than some European nations. So we're not calling the Finnish a tribe or Sweden a tribe. So we need to look at this colonial language and the impact that that's having on the economic development of Africa. Now we see all of this. We saw it, I really think we saw it with the meeting of the BRIC, Uh, the seven I think we uh, really start with this uh, COP28 no one had ever talked about openly so candidly about uh, independent Africa a unified Africa and uh, it did not address a complex issue of nation states um, any more than Canada and the United States and
13: uh, Belize and
10: Guatemala and Panama discussed a a, a uh, united uh, North America or d- discussed um, uh, Panama retroceding back to Colombia because it was originally a part of Colombia until the building of Su- the Suez Canal. But I saw great steps in looking at the economic impact of imperialism and colonialism on Africa. And you first have to make that
8: decision,
10: collective decision, that this will end. And that was the big message. And I expect to see great changes because they have youth on their side so time will play a great role they're one of the young africa is a young continent
8: one minute sister Eleanor. In one minute we got a roll we got a roll one in minute 2050, oh, yeah. finish your point
10: in in 2050 the very children and people a billion people will be 40. Not pushing a hundred, or pushing eighty, or ninety, if they should be so blessed. So I I see the future as being bright. The biggest problem is to get rid of some of the neo colonial leaders. Thank you, Sister Eleanor.
8: Brother <laughs> Moses, your final. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Moses, your your final thoughts on can you give our people some more descriptions of how Europe have dominated and exploited Africa and why, you know, their objective is the enemy. The other enemy to Africa, African people in terms of their exploiting ways and exploit and domination. Your thoughts, Brother Moses.
9: Thank you, thank you. Um um certainly Walter Rodney's how Europe underdeveloped Africa is relevant. We need to study that. Um um, the the where there's oppression, there's gonna be resistance. Where when we when we see we see the the Europe is consciously exploiting the resources of Africa, trying to get the maximum amount of benefits out of them with the least amount of input and investment into them, um, buying cheap and selling dear. Uh, this is all capitalism, and so but we have to have Africa has to have its own agenda, its own program of action, its own desires, because commodity prices aren't 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 just some kind of objective um pricing it's a subjective pricing this it shows the relationship between Europe and Africa it's not just Africa and the, and the commodity, but it's a relationship between Europe and Africa that is reflected in the price of the commodity, just like wage slavery is a relationship between the owners and the workers. It's, it takes a certain condition has to be set up before it can happen. And so what we need to do is recognize the situation and become conscious of it, and so that even though it's still going on, now we are aware of it, and we can resist and we can figure out how we can end the problem. And so, you know, the struggle is is a real concrete struggle, and we have to keep our eyes on the prize because if we keep our eyes on the prize, keep politics in command, then the contradictions of the day-to-day struggle and little um, problems that come up will be resolved. Correctly, there will be correct handling of the contradictions among the people because we have our focus on the real, real enemy and the real, real objective of what what really takes to solve the problem, and we don't get caught up in these little day-to-day problems which seem so big, but they are nothing. And so, um, I don't know. There's a we have to keep politics in command. We have to study. We have to study and know that politics determine economics always has and always will. Thank you. Thank you, Brother
8: Moses. And at this point in time, we're going to take a rubbish or a clock to break. And when we come back, we'll close out our program today as it relates to Let's Get Serious with European domination and exploitation of Africa today. And it's current neo-colonialism practice. This is Brother Africa, and you are listening to Africa on the Move.
0: If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land Some have lost their home. They live in other countries. Their freedom almost gone. Palestine Palestine needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine Palestine needs our love. Needs our
2: love.
0: Palestine. Needs her freedom. Needs
2: her freedom.
0: Palestine Palestine. Needs needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why. People cannot live, so no one has to die. We've gotta take a stand for freedom. Take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine Palestine needs her freedom, freedom. Palestine Palestine needs our love, needs our love, Palestine. Palestine Palestine needs her freedom, freedom. Palestine Palestine. needs needs our love, people of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning, let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love, and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone, so all the world will know that Palestine Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine.
14: my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, hello Reno, a bloodline across the waters, from Benin to Salvador, Bahia, But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of this funeral hollow, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah,
8: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My journey We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. This is Brother Africa. And... On the 24th day of December 2023. We're going to be closing out on our final comments on our theme today. Let's get serious with European domination and exploitation of Africa today and its kind neocolonialism practice. We would like to have political panelists and analysts that final thoughts and we will close out with a special message uh, to all of our brothers and sisters dealing with the current celebrations. So at this point in time, let's go back to Brother Hakeem. Well, let's, let's start off right there with Brother Moses. Brother Moses, give us your final thoughts for tonight.
9: Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. It's been a pleasure and a privilege and an honor. To have been on this show tonight. Uh, certainly, you know, I don't take it for granted. You know, we we study, 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 and uh, we show some signs of, that we benefited from this study, hopefully. And uh, we try to pass on information that is useful for people in their struggle to liberate their minds and their hearts from the yoke of, the imperialism, racist, apartheid, Israeli Zionist government and the military military war machine, driven by the U.S. of A. and um, its lackeys, and so we we have to understand who we're the problem we're faced with, and uh, face it courageously and fight. For every in, against every injustice that we see, and um, know that the future is bright, that the, the, we are confident in the victory of good over evil. We are confident in the victory of good over evil, and that the future is bright. And so, the devil is a liar, and uh, and uh, we we stand on the truth. Thank you.
8: Thank you, Brother Moses, for your contributions to today's program. And we continue to look forward to working with you in the upcoming New Year's as well. Thank you, Brother Moses. Next, we go to Sister Eleanor. We'd like to hear your final thoughts for tonight. Sister Eleanor, the mic is yours.
10: Uh uh-huh. Well, ditto. Uh, I agree with uh, Brother Moses, Aki, and Anthony that we study, study, study. We learn and grow through this show and through this forum and that it is a benefit to our listeners and ourselves. And we'd like to, I'd like to continue to invite our listeners to join in and continue supporting us and to tell their friends about us and to remember to stand in solidarity with the people of Palestine because uh, just as um, the drone strike was occurring in Mogadishu uh, while we were complaining about the strikes uh, in other places Obama was bombing Mogadishu the weaponry that Israel is using against the people of Palestine is being sold to nations around the world and will also be used on us so remember stand in solidarity, and know that to witness and think there's some legitimate reason for it is just the evidence of how brainwashed we are, because it is truly not so.
8: Thank you, Super Eleanor, and I do agree with you. In terms of this narrative dealing with uh, Palestine and the Zionist state of Israel, it's not a war. You don't have no two equal. You don't have no two nations or two armies going against each other. You know, this is just total a genocide. Societal, uh, methodology of ridding the people from all the land, and it's really interesting how the world is seeing this in front of their eyes. And they cannot, at this present time, stop this genocide process. But like always, we know when there's struggles of there progress, the Protestant people have a history of struggle. We know that the truth crashed to the ground, with Israel rise back to the top. And one day, Palestine, like Africa, it will be free. So let's go to Brother Haki, your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Haki. Um, yes, the, brother I keep the mic uh, is yours. An awesome thing about the late uh Gil Scott Heron when he talks about waiting for the axe to fall. It seems to me, you know, that uh, you know, and, and and thinking about the axe is about to fall, when we look at the kind of things that are going on in society, you know, I think we have to marvel at the kind of uh, uh insensitivity toward humanity. Uh the uh the brazen uh this disdain for humanity that it, that permeates the society. Uh, you know, one of the things that you know when we talk about Brother Moses earlier talked about fascism, the spread of fascism in American society. But what is interesting about it is that a lot of the people who who are adic- adamantly pushing fascism are the very very wealthy, the billionaire class. In fact, they even termed a a, a word for fascism, upcoming fascism, called the Red Caesar. In other words their position is that they they they're adamant that Trump must come must come to power again because they see in Trump an opportunity to have a a, a, a rehearsal uh, of sorts that uh, that this similar that took place in Nazi Germany and they see hip, uh, they see Trump as their man and so they are brazenly supporting Trump doing everything they can in terms of making sure you know that pop Trump uh, wins his next election, and if he wins his next election, then it assures the 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 the, uh, the consolidation of, of the fascism forces in society, and that is some very scary stuff. And so, when we think about in terms of banks, in terms of the propensity here lately over the last over the last eight months, uh, to to you know, singly, you know, take people's money and uh, and, and then tell them that listen. Uh, you know, uh, yes, your money is gone, but uh, you know we have no obligation to reimburse you for for your lost money. So when you think about that kind of uh, that kind of hubris, then certainly you understand that you know not only are the banks you know critically in in, in dire straits, but it also underscores in terms of the potential in terms of investments, potential in terms of. Uh, uh, you know, credit uh, that keeps the keeping society moving, and because those things are lacking, uh, one thing we have to agree that, that the economy is in in is in great pain. And uh, being in great pain, we have to understand that choices have to be made. And when we talk about choices being made in terms of when when society is under this kind of stress, then the only recourse for such a society. Is the constraint of of, of 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 rights of, of the citizenry? They have no other choice but to do that. Uh, so when you have a bank systematically taking people's money and they kind of refusing to reimburse them, and there's nothing that can be done, then it speaks to them in terms of the powerlessness of the masses of people. The people become irrelevant. Because the people are irrelevant, what is done to them is irrelevant. And so, therefore, when we talk about the spread of fascism, the kind of upcoming destruction, a wholesale destruction. It's inconsequential to those conditions of power. We need to concentrate that a little while. And lastly, when we talk about you know the war expenses in terms of Ukraine alone, I mean, the government is effectively out of money. So, to, according to the last statement, they had less than a billion dollars allocated toward the Ukrainian war effort. Uh, even though the Ukraine is going to lose the war, it really doesn't matter because the capitalists have great investments in Ukraine, and they win, and that's what it's always all been about. It's always been about acquiring more and more assets, Ukrainian assets, you know, for for the Western investors. And that's what it is. Uh, they've got total control over Western, over Ukrainian uh, assets. And so, by the time this war is over, these people are going to be so rich, Ukraine to be devastated anyway. It really doesn't matter. And the point is that you, when we think about it. In order for these 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 wealthy Western capitalists to, to 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 take advantage of Ukraine and control its assets, they get the money from us to do such a thing. And so, in that regard, all these expenditures in terms of helping the so-called war effort in Ukraine, even though it's supposedly helping Ukraine, they understand it doesn't help Ukraine. by the same token, they understand that it impoverishes the U.S. economy. But it really doesn't matter because on the other end of the spectrum. They're going to come out smelling like roses because they're going to have all the Ukraine assets and we're going to have nothing, which means you are going to have a lot of poor people without jobs, a lot of hopelessness, a lot of despair, uh, and people with, people with nothing to do. And so, therefore, they understand that the necessity in terms of creating, the, 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 you know, fascism, because that is the only way that's going to provide them some longevity. They're not going to survive unless they engage in fascism. They really don't have a choice. They're locked in. This is what fundamentally the African Union have to understand. And when we talk about the growth of fascism in society and we talk about the legitimization of fascism by the bringing our class into society, then we better well understand that when it comes to us, then we have to understand that we're going to be first on the firing line in terms of any kind of injustices you know, that's going to sweep the society. We have much work to be done, and we have to understand that this is no joke. This is very, very serious stuff. But as always, brother Africa, I encourage people to unravel the matrix. It is key. Uh, if we don't fundamentally take the time in terms of assessing what the what the reality is in society, then we're going to be, we're going to be caught, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, sadly uh, lacking in information that we need in terms of our longevity in society. So, with that, brother Africa, I conclude, and you you have a good night. Same to you, brother Aki. And thank you as well for your contributions to today's program. Brother Anthony, give us your final thoughts for tonight. The mic is yours.
13: Uh, thanks, Brother Africa. Uh, let's see. I I, I, I want to uh, uh my final thought for tonight is our enemies are well organized and uh and uh, uh our enemies uh then en- the enemies of african people are systemic therefore we have to get better organized than we are uh let's see uh i urge all africans to join an organization that is working to achieve pan africanism The Total Liberation and Unification of Africa Under Scientific Socialism And uh, this solution will solve the problems Of Africans uh, throughout the world At home and in the diaspora Uh, You can find out more about uh, The All African People's Revolutionary Party GC and Pan-Africanism by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. And uh, you can find out more about our program, the history of Pan-Africanism and of our party, and uh, more about our objectives. And, uh, let's see, uh, we got to, uh, we have to join an organization. That is key. And, uh, let's see, as, uh, we've uh, shown tonight, our enemy is well organized. And, uh, let's see, uh, uh, European uh, domination of uh, of Africans will continue to be a problem until we liberate our motherland, Africa. Thank you for having me tonight and uh, uh, let's see uh, continue to move forward always.
8: Again, our mic at your table will delay. What we wanted to do is just tell everyone, thank everyone for their participation during this program. Thank you to the listening audience. Allowing us to come to home. We said beginning of the program. We wanna let everybody know that this program is currently still facing issues with the live podcast system. And we're not even quite sure if this program has been recorded and we will get that recording. We're doing the best we can. We don't control the technology. Uh, we have had a policy relation to blog talk. I don't know if it's a blog talk issue, uh, but that's what they say on the board. But at some point, we hope we can get our production, technical production, um, back up to par. But anyway... This is the end of this program. we we'll see you next week. Let's continue to strive to go forever. And back with never. And we'll play you a little bit of music. Uh, inspiration. And we too want to remind you that Africa is where our heart lies as well. But well, we also know the physical aspect of Africa. So we share this music, expression, and attitude. Let's get on down so we can get on up and free Africa, African people, all the humanity from all of the various forms of exploitation and oppression. Until next week, let's get serious. This has been Brother Africa speaking on Africa on the move.
2: the fire.